It's not like I'm going to ask James any awkward questions. It's not like I'm going to say to him, James, if you came home all of a sudden to your wife and she was looking like this, what would you do? What the fuck, dude? Why? Why do you keep doing this to me? <laughs> what would you do, like, though? I, I no, 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 no. You're, you're, you're like, this is in the moment, dude. You don't have a chance to think things through. You can't just be like, why? You have to. It's action. Like, what would you do? Would you, uh, would you t talk to her? Uh, no, I wouldn't talk to her. I would, I would pick her up. She's in a prime position to be picked up, and I would throw her out the front door. Well, what if she said to you, "But, but wait, but wait, look what just happened. Look at, look over there. Look at over there. Look over there." And you saw this. What would you do? <laughs> what? What is that even meant to mean? This is getting more obscure by the day. So what? What? What we got? Yeah, I'll let people see it. No, but you can't think, man. Like I need, I need you to stun yourself out of this thinking mindset. You need to act, man. You Why? Need to act. Why? Why, why people, are you taking people, your opportunity to be on the moral high ground? Oh, you're too up in your head. Give me your instinct. <laughs> Fuck off. I don't have to give you my instinct. This is this is coaching, man. Come on. We need to snap you out of this. It's personality development. You look over and she's like, like I don't know. Is this your baby? Like, what, what is it? What is it? I, I don't know. I, I literally have no idea. So, so okay. In which case, that's your answer. I would just stand there completely and utterly stunned. And then I, all I, of I, a sudden... For people on the podcast, it's a baby and a camel, and the baby is screaming. It's it's quite interesting. The, the woman beforehand had uh, her legs over her own head. It was very crazy too. But then James, right? So this all happens. The baby's there screaming. You're there like stunned, obviously. But then out out of the corner of your eye, you look out the window and you see this. What do you see? What do you, what do, you do? Uh, I would get on his back. And I would ride with him into the sunset, and we would make the sweetest love. We would have beautiful oh, really? wallaby babies, and uh, and we would come raise an army, come take over Ireland, and shut you out of your nonsense. Yeah, 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 yeah. People. So, um, it's a kangaroo on a bike podcast, people. It's a kangaroo on a bike. I found the picture. It is complete. People, how are you? How are you doing? We're here with Ion. This is a big big day today this is the grand day where we actually hack into even more craziness go even deeper into this odyssey and if we thought this book was sh like shaking us up and making us uh really have to think through and rearrange our minds just when we thought it got based now it's starting to just get insanely crazy like absolutely insanely crazy and so James has done some fantastic work today. So we have to rib him just to get a, his, his, his arrogance down a bit because he's, he's going to probably take most of this lecture. He's done some brilliant research on this one. And there's, um, it's, it's unbelievable some of the, the conclusions that we pull out of this. It's so, so crazy. So many areas are hit. And um, it's it's a big story, so I hope you enjoy it. James, have you any thoughts? Yeah, if, if, if you want to kiss me, just ask. I, I will refuse, but it's going to get you nowhere. I'm you never you, you are, you are the first fish of this channel, continuing on from the last story. You're the first fish, and I'm the second fish. You don't consider me a threat. You've, you've bravado bonide me out of your life, but I'm there in the shadows, slowly never. growing, and then eventually your channel will belong to me by popular I'm never, demand. End I'm of never. the road for you, boyo. End of the road. <laughs> I'm never, I'm never ever going to compliment you again, ever, ever. That's the end. That was the last time. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got that little, I hope you nutted that little bit of uh, excitement out of you because that's the last time it'll ever happen. That's done. Yeah, there's something it's from now on. wrong with me that whenever you compliment me, I just spontaneously jizz in my pants. I told you, dude, like the start of these are an attempt to do some personality development. I, I throw you up some pictures that put you in awkward scenarios and I, I'm like, what would you do? What would you do if your, if your wife had this weird, her legs over her head? And there was a screaming baby in the corner. Like, what would you do? do you know, is this why you got your coaching license taken away from you. <laughs> 
coaching license. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. This is this is just getting a bit insane as usual. But um, we want to tear into this because this is a big story. This is a big story, a big lecture, and it's super interesting. And I think I should just let James take it from the start because he's really put this together really, really well, sir. Um, let's see. Thank you. Chat. Thank you so much. We got Dweller saying, can't wait for this one. What's up? We got Laszlo saying, yo, boyos, buckle up, fasten your seatbelts. And he's dead fucking right. Always put safety first. I'm not sure is Hong Kong. No surrender. How are you doing, sir? How are you doing? Yeah, right, let's... this is definitely going to uh, make sure that we are in clown world because this stuff is yeah, absolutely right. insane. You, who would have thought that like, you think of Carl Jung and you think so of, real. well, like like personality types and stuff like that. And uh, no, instead it's why Nostradamus was correct about the end of the world. It's like, Jesus Christ. Uh, but the big story we laid out last time, of course, was the idea that uh, all of Christian history is painted into the stars. So implicit within that is... Uh, we can look to the stars to derive evidence about where things are going to go in the future. It's, it's, it's a model. It's a working model that has predictive capacity. And people, prophet types, have somehow been able to do that before. So essentially, astrology is somehow linked to our consciousness. We don't know how. There's just a baseline a hypothesis here. And, uh, and using this, we can make predictions about the future. Now, what Jung is going to talk about here is, is the death of God. He's going to respond properly to what Nietzsche talked about, where God died and what the hell are we going to go and do about that. And Jung's suggestion overall is the church fathers made such a mistake by excluding Satan from his proper place next to Christ that that's what caused the death of God. It wasn't complete. So Jung's idea is if we put Satan in his proper place next to Christ, like the Gnostics did, like Jung was a naughty boy in this way, then the archetype of the self will be fully activated. You have the Christ and the Antichrist that will be fully activated. And in a conjunction to do with the stars, this will cause an evolution in human consciousness where Christianity will go ahead and evolve, which is absolutely insane. And of course, we're going to talk about today uh, Nostradamus and some other end time prophecies about what the end times might look like and more evidence for why uh, and perhaps why there was a literal baby boy also born in Bethlehem who wasn't Jesus, but he was someone else who remained quiet in the shadows for a very, very long time. Real wacky time. You broke up a little bit there at the end. Perhaps repeat that. Uh, Jung drops a hint that there may have been another baby boy born around the same time as Jesus Christ. Yes, yes. And that is the big picture we're going for. And now, like, we're just going to crunch through the evidence now because Jung lays out the case. That's pretty much what he does. It's astounding, and there's so much in it, and there's so many things to contemplate. So, um, James, I think you just tear into it, my man. I think you should just go for it. Yeah, dude. So... Uh... First of all, you talk a little bit more about this fish idea about Pisces. So Christ and Antichrist are related to this to this Pisces symbol, and the big epochs of Christian history uh, can all fit in within there. So brief recap: five thirty A.D. No, a bit earlier than that. Seven B.C. was when we moved into Pisces, and this marked the the birth of Christ and the Antichrist. 530 AD was when Satan began his ministry. Then about 500 or so years later is when you had the unification between the two in St. Joachim. And then a further 500 years after that, you had the Reformation. And then a further 500 years after that, we're now. So we're in a big, big epoch of time. So through looking at the stars, you can accurately predict what happens. Other cultures themselves have also used Pisces in quite a different way. And this is, this is a very strange idea. So what seems to happen with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John 
uh, and the eyewitnesses will say around the time of Jesus is they observed certain traits in him and they observed certain uh, psychological phenomena with him. So examples of this would be, uh, for example, the cross symbolism is something there. Jesus was a son of a virgin. There's a there's a mother son tragedy built into it where the mother gives birth to the baby and then has to watch him grow up and be crucified, even though he's the perfect man. Jesus had a very troubled childhood. Jesus was a savior, etc., etc. These these little these little markers that make up the Christian story. But what's amazing is when you look at almost all other cultures throughout human history, from even from Jewish cultures, which is very closely related to Christianity, you have the the uh, the story laid out in Pisces, because people used to look up at the stars and see stories up there. The stories to do with Pisces were exactly the same story as the Christian myth. Pisces is, for example, two fish moving like this. One, so people on the podcast, one up and one over towards the, the east or the west. I forget which way around, which is like the cross symbolism. There are two of them, which is a duality character, Christ and Antichrist. And there are many heroes associated with Pisces that were sons of virgins, that had mother-son tragedies, that had a really troubled childhood. If you remember Jesus, for example, there was this, this uh, Herod apparently caused the murder of innocents, where because of prophecies about the coming of Christ, he was so terrified about all babies born around this certain time of year, so he had them all killed. And that's why Mary and Joseph had to go somewhere else and give birth to him at the inn so there's the, the heroes associated with pisces are always have a dangerous childhood and they're always saviors of the world and there's another bonus fact to blow your mind talk about the three wise men for example they predicted jesus through the stars that's even laid out in the christian stories and in particular the savior is always associated with a star and the most prominent myth of this is a star from jacob so overall here, I'll let, I'll let you speak, Stefan, so I don't overshadow you too much, is uh, the whatever happened in the Christian myth is a complete independent mirroring of what every other culture in the world has predicted about the aeon of Pisces itself. Yes, and um, I actually don't want to say too much because I think you have this really well put together for the intro, so I want you to keep going while you're in that flow. But it, it is notable that you just have to get a little bit versed with the symbols. Like, you know this very famous symbol, the Ithacus, the one that they used to draw. They'd swipe, they'd swipe a top in the sand, and then the other person would swipe the bottom. Interestingly, that relates to this idea of Pisces and jewel fishes. And the cross comes with that. I'll talk a little bit about the cross later because there's a big, big deal going into that. But uh, just bear in mind stuff like this idea that there was a prominent fish symbol at the time. And Christianity was based around this vibe where people were wandering the earth and they, they were looking in the stars, the three wise men. They're like, oh God, he's coming. It's, it's time for him to arrive. All the signs are pointing towards this. So we're in this way of thinking that that is just not tolerant, not accept, sorry, not tolerated, not acceptable in the modern world. You cannot talk about stars having um, the ability to, to providence what's going on. You cannot talk about omens. You cannot talk about connection between this bullshit because it's, it's considered scientific bullshit. The Enlightenment, and this is interesting, the Enlightenment comes about one of these Antichrist periods. The Enlightenment is all about the, the notion of... Um, throwing away ideas of superstition and getting more based and, and and focusing on materialism. But weirdly, this stuff does still show up somehow. And so Jung struggled was trying to figure out how to make sense of this because Jung was struggling with the problem where all of these symbols showed up and it's it's like you have other gods around about this time or other figures around the about this time who evolved Christ-like qualities. You have Atticus, Atticus, 
who um who was a dying and resurrecting god you had plenty of that stuff going on so young was trying to figure out like why is this fish symbol all showing up why is it so perfectly matched with pisces what what is what does this mean is there something to it like how do i fit this into a worldview how do i model this and so for this book i don't think he's necessarily driving home a conclusion being like this is how the world works and all this but he's saying the amount of coincidences here are astounding absolutely astounding the function the mechanism he says that drives this is what he calls the collective unconscious he's saying that the 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 deep mind has put is pulling all this stuff together in this profound level of sense that is equal to what god would do when he if he was pulling the strings but uh it's it's it, that's where i think he's coming from but nonetheless it's him trying to make sense of all this stuff and, and what's so weird about this what's so unnerving about this is that the coincidences coincidences stack so heavy that it's it's hard to just it, you can't throw it off the table like you're richard dawkins there's something there's something to it we just don't know what it is yet so with, with that said i say that do say this jimothy smith keep going sir <laughs> jimothy smith i like that considering it's uh, uh mormonism might have actually been onto something um yeah i mean a little addendum there i guess is um human consciousness jung's idea this was put forward by his great student eric neumann in the origins and history of consciousness is human consciousness is changing as a collective over time we started off as unconscious now richard dawkins attacks that he's like that's nonsense of course we've always been conscious no it's like look at a dog for example are they conscious no not really they just sort of respond to stimuli. They just do their dog thing. Whereas human consciousness has slowly evolved. So that adds the idea that where is it evolving to? It's not under a, a natural selection pressure mechanism. That, that wouldn't make any sense. There's not enough selection pressure there so that everyone without the advanced consciousness dies. It's something else that's driving it. And it seems to involve something to do with the stars, whatever the hell that means. So Christian consciousness itself, or world consciousness but it's been dominated by christianity a hugely influential force nearly everywhere in the entire globe um that's been changing over the last two thousand years so we must be getting to a new point here so what what happened of course was and, and nietzsche was the was the culmination of this he said that god was dead it's like r.i.p what should we do about that and he had his own ideas and he may have been correct we don't really know but jung broke down this idea of why god is dead is so bad because you know we've phrased it before that if God goes ahead and dies, then the then the underpinnings of the metaphysics disappears, and therefore the underpinnings of our morality disappears. But Jung, he goes something a little bit further as well, which is terrifying, and he doesn't put too much detail into this because it's so terrifying. What, what he does is he equates the self, this archetype of the self, as being indistinguishable from the God image. So whenever people would come up against a God image, a God, for example, an image, a literal, an idol, something like that, it was equated to the self. And so that would be that would give a human being their vibrancy and their personality and their motivations and everything like that. And what happens over the course of Christian consciousness because of this, Jung would say because of the lack of, and maybe it's inevitable because of what the stars say, that's what the stars would say in fact, but because we've not taken into account the full picture of the self, it's managed to begin to decay. It's not quite right. So when we become uneasy about the existence of God as we did, you know, up, up to a thousand years ago, but mostly about 400 years ago. Um, if when we get uneasy about that, what happens is we take a look at all of history and everything that we know, everything that we think happened in the past, the real meaning of life, and that starts becoming derailed. And what happens is we then start to get really confused as a collective. When we all get confused as a collective, that then causes mass hysteria 
in a psychological sense and a complete annulment of the human personality. We become completely the same. And you can see that happening today, where it's if you step out from the crowd, you're bad. Diversity of thought, bad. We almost be the same across the board. And what's a, a, a consequence, an inevitable consequence of the death of God is atheistic materialism. Obviously, we're living through that now. That marks the Antichrist age. I and mean, it has done definitely since the French Revolution, but most likely since the Reformation. That's where it really started to begin. And atheistic materialism lends you to want to create a utopia of some kind. All societies that go atheist want to do this because the archetype of the kingdom of God is within their, is within their head, but they don't have God to sit on the throne. They haven't got a hierarchy of values. So what they do is they, they outsource uh, freedom of personality, freedom to do what you want to the crowd, but the crowd can't do it. The crowd is incapable. They all sort of, sort of jittering doing their own thing and start shutting each other down. It's Nietzsche's will to power where everyone's got their own idea of good and bad, da, 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 and they're just fighting over each other and nothing good happens. So what happens? Personality itself is completely and utterly distinguished. The vibrancy is gone. It just lurks in the unconscious and we never realize it ever. So Jung's solution to this, he says that Christianity itself needs to respond to this because Christianity hasn't. If you look at the Catholic Church, it's been the same for a very long time, 2000 years. It's not updated its doctrines in any meaningful sense. It's not had a response to the death of God. It's like they're just silly atheists. So what happens? The, 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 the membership of Christianity is going to slowly start to decline and then stagnate and then game over. And that's no good. So Jung's solution to this is through looking at the stars, through deriving this, which is so wacky, you have to recognize evil as real. And so in, in doing that, as I alluded to earlier, we've had the one half of the self, the good side of the self activated, and that's given us a supreme amount of power as human beings. But once we activate the other one, like the Gnostics seem to have done, I think, you forget his name, Valentinius, Va Valentinus, something like that was like a Gnostic bloke in the first few hundred years after Christ. He had a very powerful uh, metaphor, which Jung really, really clung to. And he said, um, what, what Christ did when he was born is he wasn't born alone and he shrugged his shadow off from himself. So Christ was born, then a bit of him broke away. So there are two parts. And once we recognize them, click, that's the solution because it becomes whole and our consciousness can go forward. That's a unification between Christ and Antichrist, spiritualism and materialism. And that's what we have to do. That's his solution to Nietzsche's proposition of going to create the Ubermensch. Yes, sir. Should I dive into the Leviathan and the, the evolution of the self? Is that the, the good point? Yes, yes. So I, I guess I've just uh, gone over the idea that human consciousness needs to evolve and this is the way we should evolve. But you've got a nice little story on evolution of consciousness. And this is it. I'm going to start stacking on top of that. This is where it starts getting creepy, people. This is where it starts getting funky. So, you know, um, you know, I'll show you quickly the Leviathan. I'm not sure if you know who the Leviathan is. And this, again, it, it becomes just weird, man. Like, the Leviathan is the big fish. It's the big fish that lives in the deep. So, again, the fish symbolism comes up again. Um, now, you might also know of uh, Cthulhu, who was very famous from the one of the, the elder ones from uh, Lovecraft's. It's, we need to focus on what they are afraid of. And here we have the, the most fearful concept that, that, of all. That is, that is the best inside joke I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so what's going on with the Leviathan? What's going on with the big fish? 
we our minds need to need to conceptualize the like the reason why Cthulhu captures people's minds so much is because it it is considered the cosmic horror. It's almost like Lovecraft conceptualized this idea of total abject nihilism into one creature and this idea of nihilism coming back to bite us and destroy us all eventually. So he always says, or I think the famous line is that the the dead ones lie underneath the open, underneath the ocean, dead and dreaming, waiting for the time for them to return. And so Cthulhu is that. Cthulhu is that kraken that was often appearing. The kraken is an octopus that would pull ships down into the water. And the the amount of layers, the amount of symbols going into this is absolutely astounding because the water, the ocean, is the unconscious always. All of the gods come out of the ocean. If you uh, look at after the flood, you um, get pulled, you get Manu, you get Vishnu. They all come out. And uh, I think it's Enki as well for the Sumerians. They, these are wisdom gods that come in the form of fishes and they come out of the the ocean and, and bring wisdom to people. So it's it's almost like the, the truth comes out of the unconscious. You know, the savior comes out of the unconscious. That's one way you can look at it. And some people interpret that stuff as literally, but it's like I'm, I'm. We're going with the figurative way of looking at it here. We're looking at it as the way that the the the, the tapestry. The, it's like we're reading the dreams of of cultures and whatnot. And so the ocean represents that place. The Irish gods have the same. They have a uh, Mananan, who is that god of the the ocean, and Lear, who's the actual ocean itself. And the Mananan comes out of the ocean. He's a great strong god. And it's this type of vibe that you've got this unconsciousness where all the ideas are and like uh, the artist process, these things come popping out of it. But deep in the unconscious is the fundamental challenge of life. And that is death. That is that problem where the the opposite, the, the thing that is so hard for us to face that it's weirdly, we can't even deal with it. Like we, people often say stuff like, What's so strange about being human is the fact that we don't freak out every single moment we're awake, the fact that we're going to die. Like, it's so inevitable. It's so guaranteed that this will be our last moment on Earth, yet we don't, we're not conscious of it at all. It's not hanging over our head all the time. And when it does come to your consciousness, when d death does come out of the unconscious and you start to, to, to understand it, it can destroy you. Like you see someone who loses a loved one, like that, that, that I can actually ruin them. They're like, it can be so harsh and brutal. You know, you have someone, you have a friend or a brother or a lover you love, or even a child or something like that, or a parent. And they're there one day and the next day they're gone. They're never coming back. It's brutal. It's final. It's, it, there's no reversing it. It absolutely rips your soul apart. And that is the, the, the terror where Cthulhu pops out of the deep unconscious where you were happily unaware of it, blissfully unaware. And this monster roared out of the ocean and at your family. And then that's it. It's over. And it's, it's like, it's, it's crushing. It's so hard to conceptualize until you've experienced it. And this um, monster that lives in the deep then becomes that motif because it's coming for you too. It's not just coming for the people you love. It's coming for you. And something in you knows that because you react fearfully towards animals that could kill you, for example, like snakes, dragons. You act fearfully towards danger because something in you knows that's there. But most of the time, you push that out of your consciousness. And so this is often personified as the, the whale the dragon, as I said, Cthulhu, and the snake, death itself, and deeper still, the idea of evil. Because what is more evil than the thing that kills? 
That's what people would consider evil as the, the monster that destroys things, the monster in the deep, as they say. And a very traditional way that this would have been personified is as the notion of the Leviathan. That is the great beast that lives in the in the uh, Jewish worldview. The Leviathan is the the ocean beast. Now, what's so super interesting is this began, it was brought up in Isaiah, and Isaiah talked about the Leviathan. But then around about the time of the Leviathan, Jung was saying that they they found some evidence to show that the Leviathan was paired. He was paired with Baal, the storm god. So you've got this situation where you have the, the god on uh, up on the mountain, the god of the storm, the god of the heights, fighting against Leviathan. This is the monster of the deep. So you've got a very, very traditional old way of dualizing the world here. You've got... Um, the, the righteous, the truthful, the conscious, the one above on the mountain who can see everything. As I said before in other videos, the mountain is that hierarchical place where you place the prime value on top of it. And so the, the Baal, the storm god, is on top of the mountain looking out as the prime value, which is consciousness, order, justice. And he's fighting against the unconsciousness, the evil, the leviathan, the monster in the deep that's trying to drag consciousness back into the ocean, even like the flood, for example. And so that's a God versus evil situation. And this is setting up our duality of good versus evil. God versus evil is good versus evil. And then what happens is, now this is where it gets strange, is over time this concept evolves. The Leviathan then becomes paired with the behemoth, which is a very common um, trope. The Leviathan and the behemoth is how we remember them. And the Leviathan and the behemoth then come to represent Still, the Leviathan is that deep unconscious death thing, but the behemoth is now this mountain creature. He's not a god anymore. He's more of a mountain creature. So as James was saying, it seems that the, the self of humanity is trying to evolve itself. It's trying to update itself. So just purely seeing the god as conscious doesn't really work anymore. We need to now place the behemoth as fighting against death. And what's interesting is the behemoth was what we consider the state when the what set up the the world wars of the 20th century was actually the, the germans coming together as a unity and saying to themselves we they were all divided tribes we need to now unite together and become a behemoth on the land they wanted to become a behemoth state that was the european land-based power and that's what they focused on they focused this is why they decided to close the borders this is where the idea of the state comes from and nationalism comes from and so it was this idea of becoming behemoth. This was actually in um, contrast to England's idea to become a sea power, which was very successful for them. And the British considered themselves, they even wrote a book called Leviathan. I think I could find a few at some point. I'll show you the picture afterwards. So what's super interesting is the Brits like called themselves Leviathan. And so the Germans were like, well, let's be become the behemoth. Let's become the land power. Um, Russia is the same thing. Russia is considered uh, that type of thing, that super state, but it's not necessarily a, a super ocean state. That's more of a Brit thing or an American thing now. And then um, uh, this behemoth represents that idea of the state. So no longer is it just this God, this prime value that matters, that's fighting evil. It is now the state itself. It's now that land-based, warm-blooded, live creature, the tribe, if you will, that's now fighting against decay and the unconscious. So instead of the Leviathan just being pure death, it's now turning into the, the, the erosion of the state that happens. This You can see the idea is evolving, you know? It's turning into the way that the state will be influenced by entropy if the behemoth is not taken care of in some sense.
and then eventually like those two aren't necessarily good and evil they're they're just like things but then what happens is it, it evolves up into this idea of leviathan turning into the fish and then this fish being paired being paired with christ and so it becomes this situation where we've gone from god to the tribe and now we've gone to man but this is all of these things are still godlike. You've got the god god, then you've got the god tribe, the state, the glorious tribe, and now you've got the god man. And this is um, Christ paired with the fish, which is death, uh, entropy, and now you've got pure evil. That is the thing that fights, that, that goes into the soul of man and, and pulls him away from the righteous path. And so the conclusion here, and this is why it's crazy, is that this is more evidence, and there's so much more in the book, but this is more evidence that Christ is a paired symbol. He came from a, a set of evolving symbols that paired him. And this is, means that something was suggesting that something like this was happening. But this, again, leans onto the problem of what James was saying, is that Christ is a paired symbol. What happened to his other half? We see Christ as a singular, but there was another side to it. And this is the concept of duality. There was good and evil. That moment where Satan came to him and said, I could give you the world, whole world if you just bow down to me. And he says, get behind me, Satan. He didn't kill Satan. He said, go away. And Satan went away, but he did not die. He's been floating around, waiting perhaps for his moment ever since then. And so this is the theme of the Warring Brothers, as we said before. This is a super consistent theme in the Bible. You have uh, Cain and Abel. You have um you have christ and satan you have uh, joseph and judah it's a really highly consistent theme of enemy versus enemy or shall we say if you're going to choose one side you'll have good versus the bad guy you know cain is uh, the evil dude and abel is the beautiful beautiful uh, winner and they, they the resentful cain kills him so this warring brother becomes that duality and now that, that problem of opposites and i talked about psychological law before and the purpose of psychological law is to show you that the 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 human mind consciousness as eric newman says consciousness desires to evolve and the way it evolves is by balancing opposites this is Jung's insight so he says that the way this balancing of opposites happens is first it codifies two opposites pulls them to an like an extreme separation and then somehow balances them and that shifts the paradigm so i'll explain to you how that works but first of all you've got to understand that this warring brothers motif is the soul of this opposite creating motif because the warring brothers are duality and duality is polarity when you get um when you get a, a fire a positive and a negative you create electricity between them you create that tension between them this is exactly what's going on you get two opposite brothers and they're going to fight each other because they, they just have to the tension between them is great you get man and woman and it becomes a an attraction because it's so tense they're so different they're so opposite and so this psychological law is about pulling those opposites together or understanding how these opposites need to balance themselves out and evolve into a new paradigm but this becomes extremely difficult to understand because like what the how the fuck would that happen how do you move how do you get two things that are opposite to unite that's just an absolute paradox but that's the point it is about this problem of paradox you have to get um you have to pull apart for example some i've talked about this before you have to pull apart man and woman and the way that they unite is through the child they create like something new but there is a a form of of them moving from being two into being three there is that evolution in that sense. 
And that's that's one example of it happening. Another one is arrogance and humility. Like if you can, if you're arrogant and it, or if you're humble, if you're humble, it might be you're too submissive and arrogant. You're too you're too making up for the fact you don't believe in yourself. And the the unity of those would be about finding the 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 ability to understand that confidence is when you prove yourself to yourself so that you know who you are and you don't have to boast falsely. And then you create this third position, which becomes confidence, which actually unites the two of them. And so this this is the problem we're running into. It's like, how do we unite these opposites? How do we create new paradigms? And uh, I think James is talking about this before, that the, the model that this follows is um, well mapped out by Jung and the psyche and whatnot. And this mapping follows the idea of the cross. So this is where the symbol happens again. It becomes even more crazy. You have this problem where you've got a, a binary situation. You've got over here, so people on the podcast, I've got a cross in front of me. And on the, the horizontal plane, I'm placing, um, shall we say, actually, no, we'll do, we'll do the upwards plane because this is what Jung actually talks about happening. On the upwards plane, we have spirituality. And on the bottom plane, we have anti-spirituality, if we will. And what we were doing at the first part, first part of history is following that upward plane. And we were developing that line. We were, we were pulling upwards this pair of opposites. And this is where we got like the Gothic churches and all this. We were understanding ourselves as, as spiritual people, as non-spiritual people. And then over time, once we reached halfway through the ion, what happens is the, the game shifted and we moved away from this up-down way of looking at this world, that Christ is as good as spiritual versus anti-spiritual. And we started to pull outwards from side to side in the horizontal plane and form a, um, form a conception of opening up the world and materialism. And so this, this was going, it was juxtaposing against this. This was the antichrist direction for it. But what Jung is suggesting is that the way consciousness works is that it starts off with that point and then it will decide, right, let's go up. Let's become more spiritual. Let's, um, I'll, I'll do it with my fingers here. Let's go up. Let's go become more spiritual. And once it reaches that apex, it's time for it to open out and become something new. And that forms that cross symbol. That also forms the symbol of the self. As you saw there, that was a mandala. And that's an, that's showing almost like the, the dimensions that the, the human mind goes through when it's trying to fill itself out. It goes through this, this almost geometric way of building itself out. And then over time, it will flip into a new paradigm and find a new angle. It's almost like geometry. It's like it's trying to turn itself into a sphere. And in some sense, you can trace, you can look at the architecture of the human self by watching the values that it holds and how it flips through them and spins through them and forms this these sort of circle cross motifs out of them. And I think that is enough for the time being, sir. James, any thoughts? God damn. Nice job. Nice job. Very nice. It's a, 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 lot, a, lot of, yeah, a lot of stuff in there. But yeah, the whole idea of, of psychological law, I guess, is the key takeaway there, that you have to go ahead and balance the opposites within your own life, as you were saying, arrogance and humility being an example. But then the self is doing it semi-automatically yes. yes. on a cultural level, and that's driving all of us. Which yes. is which is so so terrifying. I see you've got a nice picture up now of uh, of a very terrifying man, Stefan. Yes. Well, okay. Before we go on to that, um, this is Nostradamus. People look at him there with his big beard. Before we go on to that, I think James like put that really really well. Is that this is happening? What what Jung is suggesting is that the self is going through that process of uniting the opposites, and that the cross is the symbol of that. The cross is the symbol of 
values against each other and like a very large amount of values four which is so many fighting against each other but all being unified somehow it's like that paradox of man and woman unified in the child this is like you know spirituality anti-spirituality materialism all the all these things unified in this symbol of the cross and the self is going through that evolution and the thing is is that because we said before at the very seat of our souls is the self the big question becomes what does that mean is happening to us and mm -hmm. notre dame is now is going to lay it out and show you how this seems how all this seems to connect to the stars and how the self movement seems to somehow suggest that uh we have been obeying the gods as opposed to living our own free will so James, yes I'm, I'm very excited to talk about uh dharma's boyo Nost nostra boyo uh but just a, a little bit more on the on the on the cross so jesus was uh he was man and he was god at the same time that's how the legend goes right so jesus christ himself was in man he was the ego and as god he was the self so he was actually a unification of ego and self perfection the end result of individuation and what he was was he was hung on the cross so funny how that uh, that specific mode of execution also happens to work as a symbolic masterpiece which is ingrained into the seat of your soul and was actually predicted in the book of leviticus as i think i've said before but but uh, that that doesn't matter um so he was he was hung on the cross and what that means is him as god and man was hung irreconcilably between the opposites that's where you sit you're like hung there between paradoxes making your life a paradoxical union of opposites very strange and another another little detail in the story was he was hung next to two thieves somebody and dismas i forget their names but one of the thieves was a was a penitent thief so basically one of them was a good guy one of them was a bad guy essentially and he was like good guy you're going to be with me in heaven then he even spoke to the bad guy but that's another image there of him being hung irreconcilably between two opposites right next to himself and he was this sort of perfect union between the two. And that is so cool. That is so cool. And I might cry, but onto, onto Nostradamus because he's great fun. He's great, yeah. great fun. Uh, Nostradamus is actually a guy I hated for a really long time. Because when I was, um, uh, uh, when, when was it? It must have been 2009 when I was like 12 or 13 years old. Uh, I got into the 2012 conspiracy theories. <laughs> where 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 planet because because the the film 2012 i think came out around that time and planet x nibiru was meant to hit planet earth and nostradamus predicted the end of the world it was the end of the mayan calendar so between 2009 and 2012 i spent most of my life every time i wake up in the morning going i'm gonna die soon and it was and it was horrible. So I hated this man. I hated him. But turns out it was all bollocks because he didn't write the, the world would end. Then the world will actually end uh, approximately the same time Isaac Newton predicted the world would end, and approximately the same time that lots of rabbis predicted the world would end. When and uh, and luck luckily for you, Stefan, don't worry. That's in about fifteen hundred years. Don't worry, you'll be okay. Jesus Christ! That's uh, the but, end. Is that the end of the age of Aquarius or what? Uh, it's. I'm not sure actually. I think it's. I think it's just before the end. It might be. It's, Man, uh, I'm not even sure if I believe any of this shit, but it's so creepy. All the coincidences. It's, like, it's, what the it's fuck? something like seven thousand years after the beginning of the world is when it's meant to end. Oh, so that's I don't think they'd have a great like I don't know would Richard Dawkins like these boyos then would they being like the world is seven thousand years old? <laughs> well, well, yeah. seven, well, seven thousand years old. We don't know what that what 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 that means necessarily because it's not even as if 
as if human consciousness is only that old. The self has been around for about two million years, according to Jung. There was a book just called The Two Million Year Old Self that you can you can read if you're interested in that. But um, Nostradamus was born in 1503. He died in 1566. So in the 16th century, right at the start of that new Antichrist period, he was born just after Luther started doing his old satanic stuff, usurping the Catholic Church. But uh, he's very famous for making prophecies. And he's made, uh, you know, the scientific establishment say that he's full of shits. And it's like, maybe. So he, he wrote a book just called The Prophecies, I think, which is so ominous. He's like, here's my book of prophecies. I think he gifted it to the King of France at, at, the, at the time. And um, he wrote it in old French and in a very poetic way. So it's not as if he wrote in this specific year, this specific man will do this specific thing. He didn't do that. That would be too easy. He wrote it in a, in a more poetic form for one of two reasons. If you're cynical, it's because he deliberately did it so that he could get fame and you could apply it to anything. I think that's complete and utter rubbish because he actually makes astrological sightings, as Jung is about to say. Or the other one is uh, he wanted to protect himself because he was also into weird stuff like the occult and all kinds of fluffy stuff like like characters were around this time. But uh, here's, before we go into, into Jung's thing, here's what he said about, well, you can you can piece for yourself. So here's, here's a little prophecy that he, that he laid out. He said... Uh, in the, in the future, this is. From the depths of the west of Europe, a young child will be born of poor people. He who by his tongue will seduce a great troop, his fame will increase towards the realm of the east. Quite specific. And then he says, beasts ferocious with hunger will cross the river. The greater part of the battlefield will be against Hista. Into a cage of iron will the great one be drawn when the child of Germany observes nothing. And when he wrote this, people were like, what the hell are you talking about? We've no idea. <laughs> now, when you consider Adolf Hitler, old Hitler boyo, actually, that's, that's going to sound like a, like like I'm praising him. No, Ad, 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 Adolf Hitler, he was born to poor parents, just like it said. He was born in Western Europe, just like it said. He was able to assemble Nazi Germany. And everyone says this. All historians unanimously agree because of his great public speaking skills, exactly like that thing says. He allied with Japan, which is what it says in the prophecy, which is he allied with, with the East. And when you consider what Hista was, Hista could either be a, a, a misspelling of Hitler itself. It's one letter difference. But Hista was actually an old name for the Danube River in Austria. And old Adolf Hitler was born only a few miles from the Danube River. Jesus so, Christ. <laughs> it's fantastic. Fuck. It's, it's, so that, that that's insane. That's a really famous one of Nostradamus. Another one, I won't go into, into the great details. You can look it up yourself. It's very easy. Um, well, he predicted the rise of Napoleon in quite think, yeah. powerful detail. A yeah, lot okay. of detail. I think I think the Napoleon one's astounding because it really suits what we're tr trying to talk about here because just, just to lay the grounds, people, um, uh, before the 70 years before the French Revolution, and this is very important to note, was a period in Europe that's called the Enlightenment, but it was essentially when coffee first arrived in Europe. <laughs> so you can blame coffee for what went on here. And they all started setting up coffee shops and coffee shops became like the, do you know the way people are censoring people on the internet now? That's sort of the vibe that was going on in coffee shops. People were saying, what the fuck are you talking about in those coffee shops, you whack jobs? And everybody was going in getting like, you know, out of absolutely off their fucking faces on coffee and saying, how do we, 
how do we change things? You know, let's, let's just talk about ideas and that would eventually lead to um, notions of like, let's the enlightenment pretty much. Let's talk about liberty. Let's talk about freedom. Let's talk about new ideas, bring in new ideas, mix everything together and alchemy, all the alchemical occult stuff from the, the 16 and 17th centuries. That is the 1600s before it. Now we're kind of codifying themselves into something that you could say is a lot more political. They had come across these conclusions of uh, rationality over uberales, and it was a very, very big and important moment. And um, this set up the intellectual foreground for the French Revolution, which was an unbelievably important revolution. This revolution was the first time we got a democracy in the modern era, in the modern sense of it. This is when we got fraternity, liberty, and... Uh, uh, I forget the other one. Damn. And uh, this is where like, even stuff like the, the American Revolution happened after this. The Irish Revolution was inspired by the French. We started gunning for an Irish state once we heard what went on in France and whatnot. So France overthrew their, uh, their, their monarchs, and it was a monstrous thing what happened. They went in, they murdered them all. Like They gutted them, they killed them all in the streets, and then they started killing the power structure because the power structure collapsed. And it became just this murder fest because this is what happens. It's like in the Middle East now. You pull out a strong evil dictator, if you will, if you wish, uh, who is Saddam Hussein. You pull him out of there. And even though he was a bad guy, he was actually keeping the place in order. And suddenly it's a fucking mess. And you've got people like ISIS showing up and all that. So so it's, it's that way you got to think about it, is that there was an order there before and they overthrew the order for the sake of these new ideals. So it's important to understand that all hierarchies have an ideal at the top of it. So the reason why they overthrew this order is because they wanted to place a new ideal on the top of the hierarchy. And you can't do that peacefully, usually, unless you're Christians. You need to do it. Um, well, even Christians have to persecute people, you know? So it was that problem where the old order was a Catholic order supported by the church. And now they bullied in a new order and a new order based on the prime values of liberty and the individual. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's all associated with the coming of the Antichrist Age. And yes. Jung, Jung, he mapped out the Antichrist Age quite nicely. He thought it began with Luther, more or less. Not That's not condemning Luther if you're a Protestant out there. That's, it's the beginning of that energy, that, that things which are going to undermine the spiritualism of the Western world, because Protestantism did do that. It caused a huge, huge, huge uh, schism. Um, and the second movement of the Antichrist Jung talked about was the French Revolution. And the French Revolution began through some of the works that uh, Napoleon set into being. So uh, Nostradamus had a nice little little prediction here. And he writes loads of them about this particular character. And he calls he calls a character uh, Pax Ney Loren, P-A-X-N-E-Y-L-O-R-O-N. -E so, so it's three words all in capital letters. And uh, people are like, what the hell do they mean? Like what? And he talks about this great character rising up to be an emperor. And there are lots of specific events within this person's life. So if you rearrange the letters of Pax Ney Loron, you actually get Napoleon Rex, which means Napoleon the king. Oh, my God. So that's, no. so that's, that's one thing. And there's also another really scary thing. The name for the Antichrist in the Old Testament is something like uh, Apollyon. Something similar to that. Apollyon, I believe. And, uh, and Napoleon used to sign all of his letters just N. OK, if you put N in front of Apollyon, what do you get? Napoleon. So it could also be spelled out in in the Bible itself. And this this to me is like, how could you possibly go ahead and do that? This is unbelievable. So, yes, he predicted Hitler and he and he predicted uh, uh, Napoleon. Or, of course, it was just uh, uh, 
complete and utter luck. What's that nice picture you got up, Stefan? Because they, they can't see them when I'm speaking. Yes, there's no problem. I just got a picture of Napoleon's coronation. So this is a very important... Now, I actually have a few things I want to say here. You see these hats that the bishops are wearing? The, the fish hat. The fish hat. Now, that's super interesting as well, because these guys um, wear this hat because see the way it's split at the top here. Um, so anybody on the podcast, you just think of a bishop's hat, those big, mad, big, huge hats they wear in their heads that, that look almost like a giant leaf. They wear those because it's. I think it's a symbol of a fish. And the the old way they were supposed to, and the 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 car, the cloaks they wear are supposed to make them look like the scales of a fish, and this mm -hmm. is them them personifying some type of fish god. Some people say it's pagan, perhaps it is, but it's it's again layering more evidence in this weird situation where you've got the fish coming up again, and you've got these <laughs> these fish uh, symbols coming up again. So Napoleon was a super important um, character as well. I'm going to get a. I'm going to get a picture of Lucifer here. Napoleon was super important because he was the guy who ushered in this age. He was the hero. He was the sort. Of, he was sort of a Christ figure in some sense. Like the French absolutely loved this man, and um, he got crowned as a king. So the, he took over France, and then they crowned him as the Lord, the Emperor of um, of France. And this became very strange because they capped him as the new leader, the new king for the new order. So he was the he was now at the top of the mountain where the the old uh, church, the old aristocracy had been. So he, is, he had successfully overthrown them. And this related with this idea of liberty. This is the thing that he was ushering in. He was bringing in civil rights, liberty, natural rights, the, the, the new way, the new order of the world, the way individual. He brought in individualism pretty much. And he's a good symbol for it as well, because he was imagined as the guy who was fr came up from nothing, from Corsica. He came up from nothing, and he took over the whole world. That's sort of the vibe, except for Russia. And this relates to what John Milton was talking about in the idea of Satan, the problem with Satan, or who Satan is. And this relates to this idea of the Antichrist. So Satan was the, the fallen angel. Now, the best way you can think about this is imagine God as pretty much trying to run, run an orchestra and you have the most talented um uh, most talented uh, player in the orchestra won't listen to your commands so you're the guy leading the orchestra but then you have this amazing soloist you know the saxophone or something and he um he keeps just going off in these random solos and you say hey, dude like just try play along with the band you can't just like we just can't be like you soloing for two hours straight like let's try get you to play along the band and you can fit you will have a place and you'll still shine but you'll have to fit in and what satan does is satan's so good satan's like this is bullshit i'm gonna break away and make my own orchestra but all the other angels they're all the other people playing in the orchestra are like fuck off satan no we're not gonna do that but satan does get a small group of them and pulls them down into the world and says let's make our own orchestra and they fall out of god's kingdom so the idea is that god's kingdom had this perfect orchestra this perfect harmony and it's great it's most powerful soloist broke away to try and make his own thing but it was it was always inferior but it was the problem was he was too arrogant he was too perfect god made him too good this is sort of the problem with humanity he made us too excellent that we couldn't even believe in him because we could only believe in ourselves. We were just so good that we we're like, we, we, we can do better. And it's this arrogance problem. It's this hubris problem. It's this desire to be God, as they say. say the soloist wants to be the one in control of the orchestra. He can't submit to a higher order and fit in properly. He needs this higher order. And so Napoleon sort of represents that. Napoleon represents that idea of the guy who... Uh, who doesn't want to fit in to the system. He wants to actually overthrow the system and become the leader.
and so um so lucifer falls down this is the story of milton into uh, tartarus into the, the fallen world and he stands up and he says the great line he says it is better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven and this personifies that energy within the psychological soul of satan no matter what you think you might think of him as the horned beast but he was almost always a beautiful angel who had a dark heart and this is what it was all about it was about insane levels of arrogance of of, of individualism of of desire to do everything yourself of stubbornness if you will but the prodigal son is actually like an early form of this if you will that idea of the person who can't partake because they think they're too good and that actually becomes that actually destroys the greater excellence of the project and so this energy was codified in the liberty movement that is the call of satan is liberty overall and that's that's actually wrong when you think about it because freedom has no value if it's not creating something that is worthwhile that is excellent nietzsche we were talking about those folks Zarathustra yesterday was very adamant about this is that just because you think you're worth something you're entitled to something doesn't mean that you should have any right to go against the established hierarchy if the established hierarchy is valuable you should obey it because it will create stuff that is excellent hierarchy is useful and obedience and servitude is useful but this energy is all about you are the center of the world you are what matters it's very selfish it's very it's very arrogant as i said before and this is the thing that got ushered in with democracy and we see democracy and liberty and all these values as prime values as as the exact way we should think this is and this is what is so important about it is that if you think about your mind now if you're going to talk to anybody about the way we should value the world you're going to be moving them away from the base which is democracy liberty equality that's that's where everybody sits and you will have to pull them away from that because that's the order that we sit on now that's not what it was in the past in the past you had caste systems before what napoleon overthrew was the aristocratic caste system you had the feudal people you had the the nobles on top and that that worked that was a very functional thing it built notre dame for example like it did great things but then we moved into this new one and it pulled everybody away from that and so we have a problem now where that that's sort of inspired by a satanic desire to break away from the order and make everybody their own king and to make it like it's almost like we all think that we are kings and we matter and in a weird way there, there there's lots of dark sides to that there's good sides to it but there's an immense amount of dark sides to it and it's what's super interesting about this is that we don't understand the shadow side of liberty equality and democracy at all and that reflects that same problem where christ is conscious and the 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 brother of christ the other fish seems to be unconscious seems to be running through the underworld without and acting on history without our knowing and and so it seems like through napoleon through that era the two of them met, met united and came into being and um we still haven't become conscious of the fact that satan got into the world at that point as well we're still stuck thinking that all is good and uh christ is christ wanted this to happen well, yeah that's another thing we all we all often project christian values onto the french revolution even though it came about in the most anti-christian way of all the christians suffered and were persecuted but did not commit their values in order to take over rome these people murdered in order to take over france 
and that was actually the the they called it the Holy Roman Empire before it turned into France. So there's something to think about there, Jimothy, sir. Mm, mm, yeah, yeah, that was very well put. The idea of I'll, we'll say flipping values on its head because that's, uh, that's something Nostradamus spoke about as well. He has something to say about the French Revolution. So so he believed, so that, of course, Luther was the first Antichrist. And then we have Napoleon coming along as the second Antichrist. But uh, when you begin a reign of an Antichrist, uh, you need to begin with a new calendar, because uh, we begin our normal Christian calendar at the year zero, which is meant to be when Christ was born. He was, and it was 4 BC, approximately around then anyway. So we've got to have a new calendar to mark the beginning of this nice antichrist boyer. So uh, Nostradamus, he wrote in a letter in 1588, very scary letter to the, to the King of France. And he said, 1792 would be the start of a new age of serious persecution against the church. This is when the reign of the second antichrist will begin. And everyone around you won't know about it. They'll just think it's a renovation of the age and it will be marked by the worst attack on the church since the very, very beginning. And this evil Jesus. will take place from the north. So we got we got to break that down, of course, because it's cryptic. Why 1792? Why would he think this? Well, first of all, he saw it in the stars. There's, uh, there's. I'm not going to read out the uh, the reference for the stars because I don't think that's necessarily important. But he might he saw it in the stars. It was a conjunction between certain things. And uh, 1792 turned out to be the start date of the French Revolutionary calendar when they overthrew, or they took over France, or the revolutionaries basically. They uh, they restarted their calendar and uh what yeah so he, oh my he, he god the age when the archetypal antichrist who rose up during the french revolution would begin the new era the new aeon uh so that's 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 one thing uh and why the north the north is a real interesting part so of course it took place in the north france is in the north so that makes perfect sense but there are other things to do with the north so one you might have heard of for example is game of thrones and uh, you've got a nice picture there Stefan. i'll let people look at that yeah well i, I do believe that um what uh george or or martin might have been tapping into is that old vibe that very ancient vibe it's it's an archetype in some sense that evil comes from the north because at the same time like in a, a very physical sense coldness winter they're all northern concepts they all come from the north in some sense and so that that could have been where this idea would have come from originally you know like winter brings death cold brings death and therefore the north is where evil comes from but it is far more complicated than that like there's young talks about the fires of the north and how people saw all this stuff but yeah the white walkers the the evil tribe from the north is where all this comes down and who knows what that actually means i think the way it relates to the french revolution though is and the antichrist story we're putting together here is that protestantism was largely a northern thing it's it's quite like the the southern christian the catholic church usually exists mostly in the southern parts of europe uh, even in Austria, it's a lot stronger there, and Southern Germany, it's a lot more prominent to be Catholic than it is to be um, than it is to be Protestant. But up north in Prussia or Denmark or just like around about the top of Germany, it's it's there's a lot more Protestants, and then Sweden, obviously, and the the Scans and the the Brits and and all that. That's where Protestantism really burst up there. So since Pro Protestantism is so related to the idea of the Catholic Church and that splitting. It is a very important idea to understand that it, it, it is th that's where the northern kings or whatever could be could be the reference to.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So he was obviously tapping into one of those energies. Like J.K. Rowling tapped into a whole bunch of energies as well. And these these are why they get popular. That's the hypothesis anyway. Movies are popular because they resonate with a deep archetype. And in fact, the idea of evil coming from the north is a very, very deep idea. So just a list of people who thought the evil would come from the north include Nostradamus Boyo, Jeremiah, Job. There was a famous Benedictine monk called Morus. Uh, there was another monk called Garnerius, and uh, one Jung finds most interesting was a bloke about a thousand years ago called Adam Scotus, and he wrote more about the North, and he said uh, he said there'll be smoke coming from a dragon in the North, and this and this smoke will 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 come down from the North, and it will be marked by threefold ignorance. So good versus evil will be flipped on its head. True and false will be flipped on its head, and fitting and unfitting will be flipped on its head. If you want to break that down, what happened in the French Revolution? Well, Nostradamus himself said it. He said, everyone will think it's a renovation of the age. They're unaware of what's going on psychologically, a shift into the Antichrist age. They think it's all been wrong and evil so far. Let's flip it. So what we're yeah. doing is the true value. So that's good. that's good and evil on its head. We know that. I mean, look around us now. It's like, what is good? What is evil? Well, it's all relative, man. What about true and false? I mean, there are a million different things which are being pushed by the mainstream media, for example, and the mainstream media marks the figurehead of human consciousness of this time. Fake news, for example. There are loads of things people are pushing. Like biological sex, for example, is now a complete lie, apparently. So true and false on its head. That, that doesn't matter. So it's, this, it's, it's Gnostic in a way, but it's the idea that ignorance itself will be the evil that comes down. And ignorance, of course, means that you're missing something. And what were the people in the French Revolution missing? The same thing Christians have been missing for a very, very long time, if you fall into Jung's frame, which is a recognition of evil. So, uh, so yes, that's, uh, that's what Nostradamus predicted. That's what it turned out to be absolutely correct. And uh, so now we are living in the age of the Antichrist, started in 1792 or approximately that time when Napoleon came to the throne. And we are still living out those wisps which began in the French Revolution. I have um, I have some what we call black pills about England to say. And Jesus, dude, you have no idea how much I love to me. I love me. I love just cutting to the soul of england and proving that it is where the antichrist come from but the enlightenment that that period where they're all in coffee shops is often called the scottish or the scots english enlightenment because many of the thinkers came from there you had adam smith who wrote the wealth of nations you had john locke you had david hume these were many of these people these protestants these rebel um, rebel rebellers rebellers um, these revolters against the old order to create this new order. It was codified up there. And the, the English island had a lot of um, a lot of occult going on into it. Uh, you, you might not really know it, but the occult was huge in England and uh, magic and all that stuff. John Dee John was John, huge. John Dee was the man who codified the idea of the English empire. And that led to the people who started to think to themselves, right, how do we create... Um, the English Empire. What will we'll, we'll make it the Leviathan? So the way that the English Empire figured out how to take to take the world, and the Dutch Empire were a part of this as well. Was um, we will like sort of 
um, own them through money. That's the sort of way that they think about it. They trade. They were a trading empire. And what would happen is if you don't play their trading game properly, the Leviathan situation, they would show up with their big navy and just bomb your fucking um, bomb your bomb your your nation into bomb your main cities just into asunder because they had the big British navy and whatnot. So that's that's that idea of the the Leviathan. It's a it's an order creating tool. There is a good side to it. The, the British Empire was a powerful order creating tool, but it also has a dark side, and that dark side is the the monstrous dragon nature. And what's interesting is the dragon was of, often um, correlated with the notion of the whale, and you brought up that idea of the dragon from the north and uh, the smoke and all that stuff. And England was also the place where... Um, so first of all, you've got that Leviathan thing, which makes it the whale, the dragon, that goes around and blows up your towns because it's evil, and everybody in England is evil, and uh, I hate them all. But um, <laughs> oh, the, you you have no sound. <laughs> um, but also, there's like, there you go. There's the also the idea of the the smoke coming out of there is when the industrial revolution started up in England properly. Anyway, oh, that was cool. That is a cool idea. That that's where the industrial revolution kicked off. So the this enlightenment, this antichrist energy, if you will, set up that vibe where they they created the fertile ground for them becoming this leviathan force and then england burst onto the scene as the the industrial revolution and, and moved into becoming a superpower and essentially sort of united with america to become this world superpower we see now but that's where it sort of came from and that that set up uh, everything that went on in the next couple of centuries it became this profoundly powerful empire and it's since lost it all sadly but um, that, that's that position it had. That's that position it held in the world. And that's why it's featured. This is why we're speaking English now, is because they pulled all that stuff off. And it all relates to that idea of the seeds that were laid in the Enlightenment and they brought us into this new age. So, as much as it happened in France, it also happened in England as well in a very prominent way. Mm, I was just thinking there when you mentioned the Industrial Revolution, I, I do wonder how. I mean, we'll, we'll take it as a given. You can question if you want to, and that's perfectly healthy. We'll take it as a given for the time being that Nostradamus was somehow able to predict the future or prophets in general were able to predict the future. And it's like, okay, what would that look like? And I had an image of where the dragon might come from. If, if you can imagine, because human beings live in a, in a story structure. Oh, Jordan Peterson has made this, this common knowledge now. But we live in a story. So if your self extends across time, which it does, it's like meta-temporal in a way, then perhaps the way it's broken down is into a story-like structure. And sometimes people's consciousnesses are able to get mixed up in that self that's metatemporal. And maybe Nostradamus was getting flashes of images of things he didn't understand. So what does a big machine in the Industrial Revolution look like with fire coming out of one side? Yep. It looks yep. like a dragon with yep. smoke coming out. It's like, oh my God. Maybe, maybe. And then and then what I just get is this idea of like a movie scene that's going by in his head of like, doo -doo 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 -doo, like a little montage. And you've got, uh, you've got Napoleon there and he signs his name and it's the same name as the Antichrist. And then he just... He can't remember what it is and he has to write it down. Or maybe I'm completely and utterly insane, but who knows? Yeah, dude, like maybe it happens. This is the, this is the sort of uh, the, the weird thing that we have to come to terms with is that maybe there are people who latch on to the astral space, if you will, and, and get and they get things from the other side. Like maybe it happens that way. <laughs> maybe maybe things do come through and flash through the mind. We don't know how the mind works. I I like to stay reductionist because I just don't think I'm that dude that's gonna I don't think I'm a Nostradamus. I think I'm a, just a different type of character. So I like to think reductionist, but I, I don't try to brush that off the table. This is a serious problem I find with people who are rationalists and all this is that they 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 will have a way of operating in the world that's valuable they will be 
reasonable, like an engineer, you know, you got to be, you got to have a no bullshit attitude and all that. But at the same time, you can't just brush off this stuff that you don't understand. And maybe Nostradamus cracked open this part, like, you know, if you want to go the, the, the very, you know, basic bitch way of looking at it is like, it, you know, his pineal gland might have been just a little bit more shiny than all of ours, and it just got the vibes a little bit better. Maybe he didn't use fluoride toothpaste, so he didn't have that big lump of calcium on top of his pineal gland, and this stuff mm -hmm. just flowed through better, you know what I mean? And so he would, he'd get these flashes of images, just write them down, and bang, they somehow come true with some sort. It's really weird, but is it such a big, is it such a crazy thought considering what happened before Christ arrived, considering how significant Christ is, regardless of what you believe about him, he was a big fucking deal. Everybody was talking about fish. Everybody's bringing up the cross. Mm -hmm. So that means that it's it's vibrant in the collective mind. This is Jung's idea. There is a collective mind. It's vibrant in the collective mind. And if you can just tap into that, you can pull out knowledge that, you might not understand, but in retrospect will prove to be incredibly insightful. Now, what do you do with that? This is where it becomes difficult. It's like, all right, so I can I can figure out what's going on by pulling images, but like, is that useful? How how does that work? How does that help people? I, I don't know. That's still that's the the next question. Like, if you, if Nostradamus told us all this, it didn't really stop it from happening. So so what what use is Nostradamus's stuff? Maybe because Jung's saying the problem is we need to become conscious of what's happening, not stop what's happening. We just simply need to become aware of it. And our awareness is what will save us. And I think that's the conclusion you're going to run into now is that the problem is that we don't understand that we are possessed by the Antichrist. And the second we wake up to it, then perhaps the Antichrist can unify with Christ and lead us into the new era. Yeah, we, we still rely on prophecies today and they're they're huge within the collective mind. Like climate change, for example, is a prophecy. I don't care like how you want to look at it. It's like rather than getting it from the astral spiritual plane, the Christ energy, the the, the first axis of, of the of the of the cross, we're going at it from the other axis and we're using our knowledge of the material world to go and predict the future. And climate change is a huge deity at the moment. Everything is like the big destructive dragon from the north coming to destroy us. And, it's like, and also, also, it's marked by fire. I think Bill Nye released a video the other day where he actually set a globe on fire and was like, this is what it's going to look like. So the symbolism matches completely. It all works and we can't get away from them. Uh, but did you want to say any more on this particular section before we move on? No, I'll let you, you, let you take it, sir. We're just running close to the end of time. So Sweet. Okay. Uh, okay, so we've, we've covered a fair amount of stuff today. So the fact that the fish symbolism exists and what we can do about that in terms of recognizing evil alongside good. And that will hopefully help us avoid complete and utter destruction. And there's ideas that Nostradamus predicted the future, but there are other ideas towards what might happen at the end of time. And the, these prophecies all are marked by, and these aren't from the, from the canonical gospels. So the, the canonical gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this it's not in there. And this is why the church fathers avoid satan but there are lots of other end time prophecies from like jewish traditions and gnostic traditions and other similar ideas that do have end time prophecies that involve two characters so one of them which is incredibly like significant to me is uh what's his name so there's a guy called moses hardashan he was a, he was like a jewish bloke a rabbi I, I believe and he had this he had this little story and he said that uh, there was a woman in bethlehem just like mary in bethlehem and uh, she gave birth to a child and this child was covered in blood. Now, when, when children are normally born, they're ready to get up and moving to carry out their missionary work, if you want, in the world. But this baby was static, like a stone. He wouldn't move. He couldn't hear anything. He couldn't see nothing. 
And uh, and once obviously this mother was very sad. She's like, why is my baby doing this? And in response, the winds from the four corners of the earth, again, the quaternity symbol, they yeah. picked up this baby and they threw it into the sea because that's what a just God would do. And the mother was like, what the fuck, dude? Why? And this, this voice from heaven called down and in cryptic language, but the math is there. He said, uh, your baby will stay in the sea for 560 years. So how about that, boyo? And she's like, well, fuck that. Obviously, she's not going to be alive for 560 years. But if, if you do the maths, uh, 560 years from around the time of this prophecy lands you incredibly close to when uh, to the very significant date we laid out last time, which was 530 AD. Now, this is when this is when St. Joachim and a rabbi both completely uh, independently said would be when the world will be orphaned. And that means that is when Christ and Antichrist will begin fighting. And what this prophecy of another baby born around the same time as Christ in Bethlehem, he, when he will begin his missionary work, is in that exact same year. And that's when the two of them will begin warring. And that to me is another story where it's like, what the hell do I do, dude? What do I do, Stefan? What do I do about that? And so you said that there was another child who was born in Bethlehem. Yes. Comes from Moses Hardashan, a Jewish bloke. And was he actually born? Like, do they have to have a dude? This is a story. This is a story. Where, who knows where these stories come from? We haven't got photographic evidence. And this, was this, there, this like, was there anybody significant born in Bethlehem around about that time? Well, besides Jesus Christ, we don't know. Oh, I see what you're saying. So there, there was someone born who was anti-Christian. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, yeah, he was someone who was stat, so he, he didn't move. When Christ was born at this same time, he began moving, and he began his missionary work almost immediately. There are lots of Gnostic uh -huh. texts, for example, that say that Jesus, from a baby age, went around killing his teachers because they pissed him off, and, uh, and killing dragons because they pissed him off. So he began his missionary work immediately. What this story is saying is another baby was born, but it remained static for a long time, undetected. And of course, that's what the church fathers did. They were like, evil's nonsense. We can't really explain it. It's just absence of Christ. And so if he's static, 560 years later, the approximately the same date, St. Joachim, the hero of the previous lecture, said the, the satanic age began to get into motion. That's when this baby woke up and began his missionary activity. And oh, oh Jesus Christ. Okay, right. This this is um it's crazy stuff, dude. It's crazy stuff. I liked your conclusion nonetheless, though, is that it, it does seem to be about a bringing to consciousness of this that is the question, the solution. And uh, this is a challenging one because I see a revival going on right now, and I don't want to counter signal it. I see a lot of people getting back, like via E. Michael Jones and whatnot, getting back to Catholicism, getting back to a more based way of looking at things. But um. It, it that is still falling into a duality frame. I don't want to counter signal that though, because I'm not sure if it's right or wrong. I'm not sure if Jung is the got it. Like you know, Jung is just putting forward a theory. He's not putting forward a reality, as far as I know. So um, I don't want to counter signal that too much, but it does suggest this idea that Catholicism fundamentally to move forward needs to digest evil somehow. It needs to accept evil as there and digest it somehow. Because the provato boni is, is, as Jung is saying, is wrong. That, that causes a lot of problems. Um, mm -hmm. So that is the story we're setting up. The next Ion Lecture, we're going to talk about something very interesting. And that will be the Philosopher's Stone. So we will get into that. But I think today we're going to do some questions if James doesn't want to sum up. Uh, well, uh, no, I don't really want to sum up. 
Because uh, uh, that, that requires me to do some effort. I, I would like to throw in uh, just just a, a couple more things. Oh, I'll, I'll say one more thing. So in, in Christian tradition, you had one Messiah being born, and then he died. And he will come back again in the future, but he won't be born again. And there are lots of legends and stories that a second Messiah will be born at the end of time rather than the same one coming back. And it will be this Messiah that will save the world. And there's a story which Josephus, who is who's a very significant character, he was a Jewish scholar in the first century. And he he's where a lot of our historical evidence for Jesus comes from. And he told this story of two Messiahs, Messiah ben Joseph and Messiah ben David. And, and, and a real and a, a summary of this, I guess, is that uh, Ben Joseph needed to die for his sins in front of Yahweh. He needed to die and he was killed by one of Satan's minions. And that mimics the story of Christ quite nicely. He was killed by the evil to atone for our sins. So then Messiah Ben David, this, uh, this other Messiah, will be the one to actually go ahead and kill this evil that killed the first Messiah. Then he will be the one to resurrect Messiah Ben Joseph, the good guy, and he will be the one to restore Jerusalem down from the heavens. And there are loads of other stories I could go into, but I'm not going to because we're running out of time, about two particular characters actually coming to work together. So not only does this suggest two characters, so this this is the normal way of thinking outside of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which is why I'm bringing, bringing this up. So not only are there, are there two characters, a duality of the fish symbol, but at the same time, they're going to come at the end of time and work together. They're going to join back up again together. And uh, sorry, beautiful people, but uh, that time is right now. <laughs> Fucking spoiler alert, boys! We're at the end. You missed. You missed the start, and you just you just popped in. You just decided to jump out of your mother there right at the end because you're a lazy <laughs> bastard. You're like I'll skip to the end, boy. And um, questions, Alex McConnor. Thank you, thank you for the super chat, sir. Have you had any experiences with hypnagogic images, James? You know what those are? Uh, I did. You gotta have to remind me what it is. Hip, hip, hip hypnagogic, I believe the word is. Oh, oh, sorry, British man. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's that part where you're you're not asleep or you're not awake. You're just almost in the transition and you're seeing lots of mad stuff. So oh I'm yeah, pretty... yeah. I get sleep paralysis like two, three times a week, all the time, and I get uh, I get visions of it all the time. I'm either uh, I'm either drowning or there's a creature in the room that grabs my arm. So you know, everyone like sleeps with their leg out of the bed because that's what everybody does for some reason. I always get this image of uh, normally a witch, it's female, grabbing hold of my leg and coming after and attacking me, and I can't move because I'm sleep paralyzed. It happens like two to three times a week. It's horrific. So yes is the answer. I've, um, I don't have extensive experience with it, like hallucinations as an abstract. Yes, I've I've done psychedelics and stuff like that, and they're just absolutely astounding what you see on them sometimes. Um yeah, I've I've done that stuff. Like I think I've explained in other streams. You can look up my. I think my stream is on Beyond Good and Evil, or it could be the story of the Bible. One of those two. At the very start, I answer a question where I go into that in, in depth. Um, so I won't do it now. I'm afraid. But uh, generally speaking, though, I, I don't have much experience of like waking up. I, usually, I'll just have a dream and I'll just tear the dream down. I won't have um. I won't have much more than that. My main. My main. Uh, Laszlo says the Germans also ruled the air for a good part of World War II, so that's something to remember about the storm god. And that is true. The the Luftwaffe was dominating. Saint Bridget's Cross asked Machun. I, I think it's a good example of paganism uniting with Catholicism, and again, it goes to that idea of there's a usually a vibrant story present within the the collective un unconscious, the collective psyche, and 
oftentimes you can take these figures like Jesus or Christ and and print them onto these. And that's a super interesting idea. So these crosses, these symbols, that's that way of it getting placed within the context of these things. So I, I like a Celtic pag, um, Christianity. I like the kind of unify, unifying power of paganism that goes into that because it's it, it gives it a lot more soul. There's something a bit empty about Christianity that comes from from down south because it, it doesn't relate us to the land at all. And that that's, that doesn't really do us any favors in some sense. And um, even though they consider it heresy, uh, this is is another problem with the Catholic Church in some sense is that they, they they're too strict about allowing people to be artistic with the thing. And the all the Antichrist movements were actually matched with a great burst of art, like the Renaissance, the Reformation. Like it's hard to argue that the technological revolution came during the Antichrist age. So there is that side of it as well. It's that you have to you have to see that there's a shadow side to these things and it, it has vibrancy and life and purpose and and you can't just straight out say that christianity and catholicism had it all right because they were restricting some sense they they had all the order but they i don't think they had it all um they they held they they, they had their problems they had their problems that's what i'm gonna say alex again hello sir is there a shadow side to the symbol of the holy trinity what do you think james i don't think so um, I don't know. I haven't come across it and I don't know what it would look like. Um, the Holy Trinity, what Jung's suggesting is the quaternity sums it up better because the Trinity is kind of a kind of a, a confusing thing. So if I don't know about a shadow, but if you want to think about it like this, the metaphysics would be a Trinity, whereas what goes on inside your soul would be a quaternity. And in fact, yeah, we'll, we'll break it down in, in a later lecture, probably very, very soon. Um, Jung goes into the dynamics of what that quaternity looks like in insane detail in a way which makes you want to cry. And I know I know we hype this up, but he literally takes the story of Moses and the familial relationships between Moses and their genders and their and their um uh, whatever their their job and their role was in society. And he goes, all of this maps out what your soul looks like. I'm like, ah, okay. So I don't think I don't think by nature it is there is a shadow side because if it's to do with the with the self itself as a whole, you can't have a shadow to a whole. Um, I'm not well versed in the Trinity, my man, so I won't be able to give a great answer, but just immediately what pops to my mind is the idea of the order. So you have the Holy Trinity representing a triangle, which represents the pyramid. And that immediately brings me to this idea of uh, the hierarchy of values and the little, the little uh, capstone, which is the pyramid that sits on top of the pyramid, which is the the prime values, and so I, I imagine that's what the the um, the the, the, the Trinity probably represents on some level, perhaps, maybe I don't know. Like that's that's where I'd say that would make sense to me. And so the shadow side of it might be it can be two things. Someone down here says if you add a shadow to the Holy Trinity, you get the Holy Quaternity, which is perhaps what Jung is talking about here, that Christianity needs to move to that place. Maybe, maybe that's it. There's another possibility that it is um, the shadow side of the Holy Trinity would be in an inverse pyramid, an anti-order. So you'd have to think about everything that is opposite to the Trinity. And that's because shadow is always about opposite. And that would be a, a pyramid that is pointing down. A very common symbol in the occult, actually. So maybe there's something in that that you could look into. And uh, lastly, uh, to, to continue on with that theme, uh, God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit is uh, what, what is the opposite of God? You have that uh, idea of the empty dead 
universe that is owned by a, a mechanical force that is dragging us all toward, towards inevitable entropy. What's the opposite of Christ? And that is man is not special. And the Holy Spirit is that consciousness is not real. Like that, that's the three opposites of that. And that's actually a pretty good grounding set of principles that dominate many of people's thoughts nowadays when you think about it. So uh, that's perhaps what the shadow side of it would be. Another aspect of that is um, the, the old um, dark triad, they call it, um, Machiavellianism, narcissism, and sociopathy. Like maybe that's it as well, that that's a sort of Luciferian satanic attitude. Or maybe that's specifically Christ that they've shadow sided there or something. So um, that's the way I'd look at it. I'd pull it down, turn it upside down, and then ask the, what's the opposite to all those prime values? And you might get your anti-God then. And um, that's a very crazy thought because it is actually, when you do it, it maps quite accurately onto the intellectual framework that is what you could call anti-Christian nowadays, interestingly. Neil Dennison, what's up, bro? The alchemist daughter says... Utterly fascinating. She's talking about me, James. Like your take. <laughs> I, I had a dream where I dived deep into the ocean and pulled up a large ancient fish and gave it to David Attenborough, who was waiting on the shore for me. That's very nice. Uh, what? <laughs> it's, good, it's a good dream, you know? Uh, ancient ancient ocean, bring up an ancient fish. David Attenborough, wise old man. Very pretty, pretty straightforward. Yeah, yeah, David, I, I guess I didn't recognize David Attenborough's wise old man because he's shit. He's uh, he's, shit. He's, he's also British. And ah. as I oh, okay, never mind. Uh, David Attenborough, his latest um, series, his documentary, which everyone has to watch in school when you are basically in England, whenever you miss a lesson or the teacher's not in, you just watch a David Attenborough documentary. Everyone goes, oh yeah, it's brilliant. But his latest one was just saying how humanity is evil and we're all making the polar bears drown because we're doing a stream right now instead of living in the in the dark ages. So I'm, I'm sure he is he, he is a wise old man. Is that, that sounds a little bit like the um, princess and the, and the, not prince and the frog. Yeah, it is prince and the frog, isn't it? Where, where the frog has to go down and he picks up a gem and he balls it up to the surface. It's like the unconsciousness rising up towards something greater. Yes, yes, yes. The Earth Catastrophe Cycle. That's Neil Dennison. That's big history, dude. I'm afraid I, I don't have a good verse in that at all. Um, do, dweller is scared. Do not be scared. It's spooky but interesting. The bishop's hat is a mitra that is indeed a fish symbol. It's a symbol for Dagon, which is the solar god worshipped by the church before Jesus. Yeah, the, a lot of mitra. What is Dagon? Is Dagon? You clearly haven't listened to enough uh, Lovecraft audiobooks, Stefan. Would, would anybody be annoyed if i just kicked james from the stream what would they think about that you kick me from the stream they'll come to wherever i go <laughs> and if they're with me that means they're not with you <laughs> janu says mr castle says the correct way to pronounce it stefan is liberty fraternity and equality yeah that's true janu what's the next ion that's coming up uh, the the Aquarius and then oh Castles takes that one good man Castles question what will the ion of Capricorn entail if humanity gets to that gets the last that long tell the man James that's the most Jordan Castles question I've ever heard in my entire feckin life uh, so one I don't know okay but that doesn't matter Jung also doesn't know he also doesn't give a shit two if you consider end time prophecies and prophecies in general to be actual predictions about how human consciousness evolves none of them last longer than the aeon of aquarius which either means we all die we all transcend human form or we all transcend to a new level of consciousness 
and that will happen during the Aeon of Aquarius. So doesn't matter what happens in the Aeon after that. What happens in this one should terrify you enough. Jesus Lord. And uh, Matthew, I don't really know the St. Patrick's Cross. Um, I'll have to check it out there. I don't really know the St. Patrick's Cross. Capricorn, I don't really know Capricorn either. Like, I'm actually starting to get out of my debt with a lot of this stuff. I don't really know these advanced symbols. So um, forgive me for that stuff, Jordan, but I, I'd imagine Capricorn is something to do with nature. It was Capricorn was related to Pan, and so Pan was the god of nature. So maybe it would be a return to nature if we get that far. Who fucking Capricorn, knows? I might be getting these mixed up because I always get Capricorn and Virgo mixed up. Is, is Capricorn the, the goat that's climbing a mountain? Yeah, Capricorn's the goat. He's the devil. Yeah, and he's I, I believe he's also specifically climbing a mountain during during his whatever he's doing in, in, in the in the stars. So it could be we unify the opposites and then we transcend to something else. I don't know. Does this relate to the Vedic ideas of the yugas, the Kali Yurga we're in currently? Could be, dude. Could be. I, I'm not sure if they map properly, but uh, to be honest, it seems to fit. Kali Yurga came about a couple of hundred years ago. But Kali Yurga seems bigger though. They, they're they're a little bit more complicated because the time is different. The ion of the Kali, Kali Yurgas, like the Yurgas, for example, the first one is very long. It's millions of years long. And then the next one's 100,000 years long. Then it's 10,000 years. And then it's 1,000 years for the, the current Kali Yurga. And then it goes back to 10,000 years. So that's a different way of looking at time as far as I know. Um, I know Young Fu. <laughs> Board Short says, there is a new Christian church to be made run by 12 apostles who share the same philosophy, obviously being straight out of the Bible. I think that would be a shadow of the reality we live in today. Perhaps the God spirit will move over the shadow like his spirit moved over the face of the Jesus. Yes, Jesus. That's a crazy thought. Mm -hmm. Capricorn is the fish goat, gents. Earth and water. Fuck. Oh, thank you. Uh, in which case, that makes that makes a lot of sense. There is a mention of Capricorn. So, so uh, Christmas Day is um, or Christmas Eve midnight is marked by Capricorn in the sun. It's marked by Virgo coming over the horizon, and then it's followed by a serpent bearer. And there is there is a legend associated with the Aeon of Pisces. Hence, why it's it's Christmas. This was revered by both uh, pagans and by christians and this is why obviously it hit christmas day christ's birthday etc and it's all to do with a mother-son tragedy but a fish goat looks to me like uh pisces combined with something similar to aries something like that who knows who knows and so that would be another christ antichrist idea but i don't know i'm out of my depth with that i don't know what the aeon of capricorn is going to bring in 2000 years time and i think on that bombshell we are going to have to leave it because james has to go off and uh i think he's meeting a kangaroo for lunch or something so we're going to have to bounce, my friends. Yes, I'm going to go and make the sweetest love on a nice Saturday afternoon to my... I'm going to stop. Just end the stream, please. <laughs> <laughs> All of this is public forever, man. You're so gas. All right, here, people. We will talk to you later. I hope you enjoyed that. The next one will be the Philosopher's Stone and a little bit of talk about artificial intelligence. So we'll see you later, peeps. Love you, man.